on and we're up. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Our first player inductee is Tom Barrasso. A native of Boston, Tom was selected fifth overall by the Buffalo Sabres in the 1983 entry draft. With the Sabres in 1984, Tom won the Calder Trophy and the Vesna Trophy while also being a member of the NHL's all-rookie and first all-star teams. The next player in the player category is Pierre Turgeon. Growing up in Rouen, Quebec, Pierre Turgeon started, starred for the Granby Bisons before being selected first overall by the Buffalo Sabres in the 1987 entry draft. In 1,294 regular season NHL games, Pierre scored 515 goals and added 812 assists. The Hockey Hall of Fame is pleased to welcome Pierre Turgeon as an honored member. Well, there you go. The uh, National Hockey League and the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame working together again. That's my internet for those watching. You are not in the witness protection program on MSG. There you go, Dan. I love it. Dan, where are you? Where have you been? (laughs) I would actually love to have that work for the entire season. We'll have to talk to Joe Pinner, our producer, and see if we can just do that. That would be great. Uh, Uh, This is the perfect duo, and I know we're going off on a tangent right now. At some point in this show, Dan, I got to warn you, my internet's going to like kind of crap out for like 30 seconds and come back. It always happens. It is brought to you by Spalding Lake uh, Wi-Fi. And we've joked about this before. So you, I completely come off. You just had the witness protection uh, filter on. So it's all good. Yeah, but I used to live in a little bit of the, what we call the sticks before I moved over here to this side of the of the river and we actually had to use satellite internet i mean we had to wait to get on a tower to get satellite internet we were just across the river from buffalo now i'm hooked up and i yeah it looks like i'm in the witness protection program um but the program for the hockey hall of fame went through uh really without a hitch yesterday um uh, we're going to talk about uh obviously a very goaltender heavy uh hall of fame and obviously yeah. not um, look past the others that were inducted as well because it is a real honor uh, for them and their careers. And uh, then there's always a discussion too, especially for those of us in Buffalo about Alexander McGillney and the fact that he did not get in again. So we can't uh, not ignore that, but um, you know, there's a lot that goes into the process. And as I mentioned, Marty, uh, the other day with Sal Capaccio, but just before your show, um, and we talked about it just before going to air here, I have a lot of respect for the people that make the decisions here. And these are good people. Oh yeah, uh, they're, they're hockey people. They've been around the game for their entire lifetime. So it's not as if they don't know, who Alex McGillney is. It's not as if they don't know the story. It's not as if they don't understand how remarkable of a player he was. Uh, There's just a lot that goes into it. And um, unfortunately for Alex, it doesn't happen this time. And for a lot of Sabres fans who are hoping it would, it did not. Uh, But we certainly do not want that to take away from those that were inducted to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And look, Alex McGillney, I believe, will get in the Hall of Fame at some point. And and you you got to think about the impact he had on the game, not just at the NHL level, but international uh, level as well. And look, the, the situation with Russia right now and the war in Ukraine is is a little tricky. So maybe that had to be a factor. I, I, I don't think it should be. Obviously, we're not, you know, this is not a a political statement of any kind, but I, I maybe it did. Um, and, and there was a big push, a huge push the last few weeks to get more goalies into the hall of fame, which I'm in favor of. If you get the right ones, did you know, Dan, only seven goalies got into the hall of fame in the last 30 years. 
I do you know? because, yeah, I looked at the Hall of Fame list by position today uh, when I found out two minutes ago I was going to be on your show. And I thought, okay, <laughs> let's look at all the goaltenders. I'm kidding. It was 20 minutes. Yeah, um, exactly. 22 minutes. We gave you a Jeff. little heads yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's still not smiling, so he's not really listening. But that's Jeff's our producer, by the way, for those that can't see him on the screen right now. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was surprised. I looked down the list of goaltenders who are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I would say, what, Marty, 80% of them, uh, in all fairness to most fans, certainly of this generation and certainly, uh, you know, coming up behind our generation, would have no idea who these players were. I mean, there are some highlights and really iconic names, and there are some names that you, quite honestly, uh, before Google, would have trouble knowing who they are. So since 1993, okay, like we're go back 30 years, but Billy Smith was inducted in 1993. Prior to him was Vladislav Trichak in 89. And then prior to him was Tony Esposito. And then every year in the 80s, pretty much, you got a goalie. Ken Dryden, uh, Bernie Perrant. You got um, Jerry Cheevers, Eddie Jackman. Like, you got a lot of goalies. And then in 93, it stopped. It took 10 years from 93 to 2003 to get Grand Fuhr in. Then three years later was Patrick Waugh. Ed Belfort, Dominic Ashek, and Rogi Vachon. Those are the six gold, uh, five goaltenders, okay, that got in past 1993. And obviously, you have Roberto Luongo that got in, and yep. um, now you have uh, the three that got in this time, including Tom Barrasso, Mike Vernon, and my buddy Hank. I haven't sent him a text yet. I'm gonna have to send him a text, but um, so no, yeah, there was a text from other people who thought you made it to the I hall. know I'm getting congratulation texts from uh <laughs> Hall of Famer themselves saying, Congrats, you finally made it. And I'm like, uh, you send it to the wrong person. But anyway, um, yeah, so there was a huge push to try to get more goalies in. And I'm not one to say, well, there's not enough goalies because there's still a fair amount of goalies, but in an era where goalies have been so dominant, right? Like you have to consider that they have had an, a bigger impact than a lot of other players in the game. Look, no disrespect to Pierre Turgeon. Pierre Turgeon was a fantastic hockey player. Love the guy. Love the guy. He comes in. He came in twice last year, you know, do Sabres alumni event. Fantastic guy. Was the, um, he's 34th in all time scoring in the NHL. The 33 ahead of him are in the Hall of Fame. And the guy behind Pierre Turgeon is Gilbert Perrault. is in the Hall of Fame, right? But was Rick Martin more dominant than Pierre Turgeon when Rico played? You Somebody could say that with his goal scoring and everything, that he was more dominant than certain players. So, look, McGillney was more dominant, I think. So, congrats on Pierre Turgeon. Well-earned. Well-earned honor. But we can kind of knit pick a little bit here for the selection committee and and who got in and who didn't get in. You can. And it leads me uh, a little bit to the discussion. I don't want to take it too off track because I want to talk. Let, let's not go there, actually, because if I do start this, I know me. I'm going to take it right stopped. off. I'm the, well, no, it's a good conversation, I think, because I thought of it. But um, <laughs> no, let's stay on tracks with your your buddy, Henrik, because this yeah. is uh, this was a unanimous thought to pretty much everybody. Um, certainly of the now generation watching hockey and throughout his entire career. Um, I want to, I just came up with this. I want to turn it a little bit here because we're going to praise him up and down because he's earned it. Could you possibly find any reason in your mind that anyone would have said no, not yet? Okay. So the only reason would have been he hasn't won a Stanley cup. 
But I think what we have come to understand now, I, I, anyway, I would like to believe that we should understand is that the Hockey Hall of Fame is not a team Hall of Fame. It's a individual player, your performances, winning the cup is a team uh, aspect of the game. And it's great. Our culture in hockey is about uh, being unselfish, being about the team, sacrifice and all of it. And it makes the game great. But when you talk about the greatest of the great, it has to be individually. Uh, it has to be your own personal achievements. So I look at Henrik Lundqvist. He took the league by storm, right? In 05-06, when we changed the game to add more scoring, and he came over from Europe, he went seven straight years winning 30 or more games. It had never been done before. The first seven years of his NHL career, he won more than 30 wins. The only time in his first 12 seasons he didn't win 30, I think he got 26, and that's the lockout shortened season of 2012-2013 where we only played 48 games, right? But he would have gone 30 if it had been a regular season. So that's impressive. He was a Vesna Trophy winner once, but a finalist four-time. He was a first-time All-Star, first-time second-team All-Star, he won gold in Torino in 2006. Like so many, so many achievements, right? And people could say, well, he didn't win the cup and only went to one finals. I mean, oh, that's not his fault. Like the yeah, Rangers so were good. Of, yeah. That's not his fault. Yeah, only so much of that is in your control, especially as a goaltender. And and I asked you before the show about as a former goaltender yourself, part of the group that obviously pushed for this induction class and it worked. So your phone calls obviously have carry a lot of weight around the league <laughs> for goalies um, without mentioning yourself. But, you know, you're Henrik Lundqvist, you're Marty Baron. How do you as a goaltender want to be judged? Is it a statistic? Is it a number? Is it a something else that we haven't talked about? So for me, I like to compare the players in their era against their peers, right? So um, you look at Henrik Lundqvist. From the time he started in 05-06 until the time he retired in 2021, he's second in wins in that time span, only behind Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay, Roberto Longo is behind him, Miller's behind him, Pecorini, Carey Price. That is, to me, is important. Uh, he's... First and save uh, second and save percentage. Only two Karask has a better save percentage than Henrik Lundqvist, right? Like you have to compare yourself within your era. Were you a top two, a top three goaltender in your era, right? That's why Patrick Raw, Marty Brodeur, Ed Belfour, and Dominic Ashek, those two, those four were probably top four in that era of the mid 90s, the mid 2000s. Maybe even early '90s when you think of Patrick, um, like those guys were it. They were the four. But after that, there's others that were in and out, in and out. Curtis Joseph's a great uh, uh, example. He was really, really good. But was he one of the best of his era? I think there's other players ahead of him. Henrik Lundqvist. That's why you could say yes. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer because he was one of the best in his era. Carrie Price may be up there, Roberto Longo yeah. may be up there, but you can't name five or six ahead of Longquist over that time span. No, and and you know, it's the reason too why the other question could be, but the answer is pretty obvious. You know, Henrik Lundquist was going to be in the Hall of Fame. Does he have to be a first time uh entrant? Eligible. 
Yeah. yeah. Does he have to do you? I mean, can you just wait and put somebody else in who's been waiting a bit longer, uh, whether it had been a, a Richter or anybody else um, or Osgood, if you want to throw a name in there? Uh, but it's quite obvious. Yes. If you because, they're you know, they're sometimes the eras overlap a little bit, but the dominant years of their careers were quite different. And as you mentioned, they had uh, some uh, some different results. So. But uh, the this... thing is also, as you talk about, well, yeah. who else could have got in, right? Like, I, I Tom Barrasso, and because there's a Sabres connection there, I say Tom Barrasso took the lead by storm. Same thing. Came in out of high school as an 18-year-old, won the Vesna, won the Calder, was, you know, different, right? We we didn't see 18-year-old goaltenders coming out of high school and playing the NHL. Tom Barrasso did that. Tom Barrasso had a fantastic career. Now, I think what puts Tom Barrasso over the top a little bit compared to others in that that conversation is the fact that he did win two Stanley Cups. And Cups are nice. Like, they're a part of the whole, you know, your resume. Yeah. Uh, if Tom Barrasso didn't have two Stanley Cups, would he be a Hall of Famer? So that's why Tom Barrasso didn't get in, get in until this year. Like, maybe there was more of a push for him this year, but he didn't get in because if you take away those two Cups, is he, right? Like, Lundqvist, no Cups, he's still a Hall of Famer. If he had mm-hmm. two Cups... He'd, he'd, he'd be on the pedestal ahead of everybody. Um, Mike Vernon, to me, I have, look, Mike Vernon was a fantastic goaltender. He played in an era where Grand Fuhrer was down the road in Edmonton and Patrick Wall was in Montreal. Yes. And you, yeah. you had like other goaltenders. Is Mike Vernon a top five goalie in his era? I don't know. Like what puts Mike Vernon over the top? Well, he did win the cup in 89 with the Flames. Then he did win it in 97 with the the, the, the Red Wings. So he has two cups. So uh, maybe, okay, the cups work for Mike Vernon. I don't like looking at the cups as a way to put somebody in the Hall of Fame, but it helps your, your resume, especially if if people are pushing for you a little bit. Yeah, I, I certainly as a fan growing up in, in Mike Vernon's years, um, remember some pretty spectacular saves and moments and, and timing of saves too that for me are – I'm certainly okay with that. You know, Chris Osgood's another name I've already brought yeah. up. It's not one I've thought about a lot, but when I do start thinking about it, you know what? Yeah, I, that's probably a pretty good one too. But you you brought up, so in two names you brought up, it's really interesting. Tom Barrasso, without the Cups, would he be? And I want to have fun with it and tell you, I'll tell you what, he was my wife's, Brenda's favorite Buffalo Sabre of all time is Tom Barrasso. And <laughs> you ever we, meet him? Well, she, I don't, well, I think she probably did. I mean, she, I'm, I'm, I'm only saying that tongue in cheek because know, Tom I was a different person it. and yes. people in Buffalo have so many stories of things that Tom Barrasso may have done on and off a golf course once or twice. And it's like, okay, but I, that's why I was asking. I'm yeah, being no, I know bit. you're having, yes, you're having fun with it, but it, yes. Uh, listen, there's stories that can be told about all of us. All right. And exactly. most of the, <laughs> some of them, we hope they're never told until we're long gone. And people say, who was that guy anyway? But yeah. my point being that, you know, that that's her favorite saber. Uh, would be the other, like of all time. I mean, that for her growing up, that was, those are her too. And then you mentioned about Curtis Joseph, how was he the one of the best of his era and having obviously being uh, worked in another market for a number of years, just down the highway, I can only imagine what the conversation is like on yeah. that end of the spectrum. So it is very, um, it can be a regional discussion on who thinks who was the best. And that's why I asked you the question is how do you want to be measured? Because you could argue this guy was better at this. This guy was better at this. Well, how does this moment against St. Louis, how is it lesser than a Tom Barrasso moment for the Penguins where things worked out 
differently for him because of a much different team in front in that moment in time. Yeah. So it's, it's just really good to debate. And of course we're, um, you know, taking away from Pierre Turgeon a little okay, bit well, the discussion about goaltenders and because you want to debate, like in a way, like who's the next goalie to get in? Who's the next goalie to get in? I think there's three guys on the list that are because the door's now open when you look at Mike Vernon and Tom Barrasso getting in. There's three guys on the list in that era of goaltender, right? I'm not looking at well, is Jonathan Quick a Hall of Famer or Ryan Miller a Hall of Famer, Carey Price a Hall of Famer, Pecorino Hall of Famer? Those are those discussions are coming up here in in three, four, five. So years, So you're not right? qualified. Yeah, you're not here to qualify them as Hall of Famers. You're asking who does get in next? Who does get? Who's the next group? Like next year, a year from now, when they say mm-hmm. to announce the 2024 class of the Hockey Hall of Fame, who is in? And I think there's three names that now come to the forefront. Chris Osgood, we pointed out, um, has always been that that borderline guy. You've got um, Mike Richter. I think that could be, I mean, Mike Richter, oh my goodness. Like when you think of dominance and a, and a goaltender that was at such an impact on the game and him winning the cup with the Rangers, like first time in 50 years or whatever it was, like, you know, um, more than 50 years. And there's Curtis Joseph, Curtis Joseph seventh on the all-time win list. But again, was he a dominant goaltender? So, so Dan, I put three names, this, that, or the other thing. Um, who gets in next? Curtis <laughs> Joseph, Mike. When, when, when did the other thing Chris come Oscar. into this? I haven't been, clearly I, don't, I haven't been watching or listening every day and I feel very guilty about that. So I missed the other the thing. The other part. thing. Uh, uh, you yes. know what? I'm going to say Chris Osgood because when I look at the history of that Red Wings team and organization and what they were, the mountain they continued to keep getting so far up and then slipping down and not quite getting to the the summit uh, and everything they went through without the way that Chris Osgood played. I think all of their efforts that were amazing at times that did not pay off in the form of a Stanley cup championship. Eventually it did. um, And he was a big part of it. So I'll go with Chris. I, I, I think Chris Osgood has a really strong shot just because, in my opinion, when you look at Barrasso and Vernon going in, mm-hmm. and, and the big weighted aspect of those two going in is probably the Stanley Cup. So when I look at uh, Chris Osgood and I'm saying, well, you know what? He was an impactful goaltender with a Detroit Red Wings team and that, that won Cups. I'm saying yes, but I want Mike Richter in there. I want Mike Richter... Um, to be in the Hall of Fame at some point. And you're going to have to put those in quickly because it's so hard to compare eras. It's going to be hard then to have the Jonathan Quick, the Ryan Miller, the Kerry Price, the Marc-Andre Fleury, the Pecorini conversation in four or five mm-hmm. years and compare them to Osgood and Richter. All Just right, so like if, it, it if, was hard for the guys in the 90s and 2000s to be compared to the 70s and 80s guys. Okay, so you're the better encyclopedia here. Uh of the let's, let's go Richter Osgood. Of the two on their march towards a Stanley Cup. Who had the tougher opponents to stop oh. as far as scoring? So you look at the series that the Red Wings went through and the teams that they had to beat and the series that they had to win and the goaltending they needed. And then look at the Rangers in the year that they won the cup. And I'm not belittling either side. I'm, I'm honestly asking you, who do you think had to be, without a question, the tougher competition being faced by which goaltender? And okay, both what? both are cup caliber. Don't get me wrong. 
Yeah. But just for some ways to differentiate, how are you doing it? Um, it's hard. And I don't know, I would never, and, and maybe people do it that way. Look, there's 18 people on the Hall of Fame committee mm -hmm. and you need at least 50, you need uh, to get to 15 votes, right? So 14 uh, doesn't get you in right away. You have to do a second round. It's like, uh, you know, announcing the Pope there, but uh, you know, there's second rounds and third rounds and all of that. But um, maybe people look at it and say, Hey, you know what? Mike Richter won the cop, but who did he have to beat on his way to the cop? And Chris Osgood won cop, multiple cops, right? He didn't just win one. Mm -hmm. um, how did he do it? How did he get there? I remember Mike, that Chris Osgood came in one year and relieved Dominic Ashik. Ashik started the playoffs against Nashville. And then halfway through the Nashville series, Dom was struggling. Osgood came in, won the cup. Boom. Like, that's that's impressive. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as the body of work. Like, the totality, okay. Yeah, the totality. Like, yeah. if you beat the Colorado Avalanche and they had Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and, and all these great players, well, it's a nice feather in your lap as this is an old Jeopardy reference, but, um, you know, it's great, but it doesn't make you all of fame because of who you beat on your way to a cup. Okay. So I'd give it a shot. See what you thought of that. No, that's okay. I, I like it, but we so are I, I, going I think to it is. To... I think it is impressive who you, um, I mean, cause those series for me were just out of this world, the, the red wings and the avalanche and, and everything that, I mean, that was, that was, it was, it was a different planet. I mean, hockey had really um, seen great series before, but that, that was just, there was so much more to those series and everything that was going on in there. Because from Chris Osgood fought skill. Patrick Waugh, does that put him at a higher level? I wasn't even going there. I mean, the emotion was there, but I, I wasn't even going there. Although Chris Osgood and Patrick Waugh's fight was not as good as Mike Vernon and Patrick was fight. Mike Vernon is a littler of, of those goalies and he absolutely like cut open Patrick and Patrick right. was bleeding and after then... fighting Mike Vernon. That's why Mike Vernon is in the hall of fame. He <laughs> cut open Patrick Waugh in an open ice fight. And that's what put him in. Yeah, And meanwhile, Felix Potvin and Ron Hextall now want to be in the hall of fame too, because they think they had a better scrap. I think they are in the Hall of Fame, not as honored members, but there's a picture of Felix and, and Ron Ekstall in a fight somewhere in the Hall of Fame. There has to be. Like, those are iconic moments. But, yeah, so um, the goalie conversation in the Hall of Fame is interesting, Dan. And, I mean, we could go on and on because at some point we're going to have the Ryan Miller, uh, you know, conversation. Is Ryan Miller a Hockey Hall of Famer? Um, is John Jim Quick a Hall of Famer? Is, is Tim Thomas a Hall of Famer? Like, all these guys that are, you know, just – but based on what you said, I think so. For Ryan Miller, based on, uh, and again, I'm, I'm giving you credit for it, based on your parameters for uh, a Hall of Fame election induction, Ryan Miller during his playing days, I think, was top of the class as far as how good of a goaltender was he. If you wanted someone to be in net for a game that you wanted to win, would he be one of the top of his era, let's say his class, would he be one of the top three that you would want in net? Now, and let then, me ask you this. Then you start having your arguments about why any of the three. What if I, I, I like to use individual achievements like first team all-star, second team all-star, uh, you know, major awards, like that's big. Ryan Miller really had one amazing, amazing season where he was first team all-star. He was fourth in the MVP conversation. He was 
won a Vesna. We're mm -hmm. going back to 2009-2010. He never was a first or second team All-Star prior to that or after that. He never was a Vesna Trophy finalist prior to that or after that. Like that's where you do the you have to do the deep dive. Now, that same year, right, is the uh the Olympics, right? The uh, Vancouver Olympics in 2010. Yep. Like that weighs in too. He was MVP. He was the best goalie. Like Henrik Lundqvist without Torino in the gold medal with Sweden, is he a lock? Or is that set the stage for Lundqvist's career, just like Ryan Miller? And it yeah. also depends who's going to come in at the same time. Like who's going to be, is yes. Gary Price going to be in a conversation? Is Marc-Andre Fleury going to be in the conversation whenever Marc-Andre Fleury retires? Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of other goalies that are going to be in that conversation that are going to, Maybe push Miller off, or maybe Miller going to get in. Maybe Miller's got a good friend on the committee that's able to to you know uh, move things around and make it happen. So that's that's why those are interesting. But also, it's interesting because we do have Darren Drager coming up at twelve thirty here, and there's goalie news around the league. Right? Where is Connor right. Hellebuck going? What's going to happen with Aiden Hill? Uh, you know, there's so the goalie movement this summer is going to be crazy. So this. I feel like this is the morning or the afternoon of the goalie. This is the day of the goalie. The day you know after three get in the Hall of Fame, we yeah. talk goalie and only goalies today. You know what? The 11-day power play got underway yesterday in Oh, Buffalo. let's talk about and, that too. Uh, talk about goaltending. I, now, I'm, now, they call him Sully. I believe it's Mike Sullivan was in goal for Team White in the first <laughs> uh, official opening game at 7 o'clock. Yeah. So I was down there doing some play-by-play -play of uh, that game and the game at 8 o'clock. Uh, but Sully, as they called him, uh, amazing glove hand in that first game for Team White. And uh, everybody else that was involved, uh, I looked there at Courtney and DJ Jixter, who were all part of the opening ceremonies yesterday as well. So just a quick shout out to the 11 Day Power Play. What an amazing job, again, uh, that Mike and Amy Lezikowski continue to do with this uh, mission, uh, that they are not going to stop their march towards uh, fighting and defeating cancer. Uh, that has been part of both of their lives. The co-founders of the 11-Day Power Play spoke to the crowd last night at Harbor Center, and they're playing now. And uh, they call it the 11-Day Power Play for a reason. So it just got started. You've got lots of time to head to the rink any time of the day or night, as you have, Marty, to go and uh, encourage the players. Look, it may rain the next few days. So what are you going to do? Can't cut the grass, can't golf, can't go to the Little League uh, baseball game and sit outside. Go and cheer on everybody that's playing. Community shifts is going on. Uh, it's fun. Uh, it's fun to play when there's people there cheering on the 752nd goal of the, of the, of the week, right? Because they keep tabs <laughs> on white against blue and uh, yep. overall uh, scores. So um, go down there, go buy merch. I'm telling you, like their hats and hoodies cool. and shirts is really cool. There's a lot of cool merch. And when you wear that merchandise everywhere, people recognize it. Like I wear my 11-day power play hat. Um, sometimes if I'm, you know, at a horse show with my girls and I'll be down in Kentucky or whatever. And they're like, hey, is this the hockey game in Buffalo? The, uh, yes, it is. Like people recognize it and it's great to see. Well, there's someone by the name of Dennis Gilbert that was playing last night. In oh, the did opener. he? Yeah, he played uh, in the opener, and you might, uh, folks might remember that he made it pretty clear to the uh, organization out in Calgary that this was something he was going to do, and yeah. uh, you weren't going to stop him. They actually so, supported. They actually rose, they sure raised did, yeah. money in Calgary with the Flames. 
um, for the 11 day power play this year. Um, so yeah, Dennis is great. I saw him at a lunch earlier this year. Um, he's a great storyteller and he'll probably play more than one shift. He'll probably be there two or three more times this week. A hundred percent. He had the flames gear on. And then of course the power play Jersey, uh, over top of that. So, uh, okay. that was good to see for a play-by-play guy who doesn't know a lot of the names that are on the ice for that, <laughs> for that first couple of shifts. Well, right, thanks you... for doing that last night, Dan. Thanks for oh, doing it's it. It's always a pleasure. Are you kidding me? It's funny. They say, thanks for donating your time. And these are people that are sleeping for 11 days at the rink and not leaving and just playing hockey for three hour shifts at a time. So uh, my time so. is nothing for that. Uh, we have a lot of time for our next guests coming up in a moment. Uh, Darren Dreger, he'll talk about all the happenings, uh, scuttlebutt and discussions going on around the National Hockey League, as Marty said, about goaltenders, other players as well, potential free agents uh, who might go where. And of course, the draft is right around the corner as well. Sabres Live will continue in just a moment. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Sabres Live rolls on. Uh, the good news is during the break, Marty had his, uh, what kind of Wi-Fi moment? Do we call that one, Marty? My, our Spalding Lakes Wi-Fi. It actually dregs because you're on and TSN Insider is on with us. I broke out in a full sweat yesterday at 6.07 p.m. I was live in SportsCenter and my Wi-Fi decided the first time it's happened while on SportsCenter this year, it wow. crapped out. I completely lost everything. And then I went to do my second segment and it crapped out again. Like it completely crapped out on me. I went in a full sweat, like scrambling to get, I'm on live TV. So anyway, so it's happened a couple of times here. I'm going to have to get that fixed, but uh, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, the good news is Marty, uh, Darren didn't want to say it, but the ratings actually shot through the roof. As soon as uh, your Wi-Fi <laughs> dropped and sports never seen better numbers for that moment. So it's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're just, okay, here well, let's go facts. into business. Let's talk business instead of my <laughs> terrible Wi-Fi here. Yeah. Um, Dregs, let's start with the Sabres because they re-signed Zemgis Gergensons. Um, they did re-sign Caliposo as well. They signed, uh, re-signed Lucas Rusek. They made some moves. Um, and, is they still looking for a top 4D? Is it going to happen before the draft? What's happening with Saberland? Well, you know, I, I kind of sound like a broken record because every week we talk about what Kevin Adams is trying to do. And like so many other general managers, I mean, there's a whirlwind of conversation and, and trade discussions happening. But it kind of feels like we're also in a window now with the draft looming where teams are just kind of pulling back a little bit. Not to say that we aren't going to see trades you know, before the, the middle of next week. We definitely are. Um, but I, I, I think that there's a bit of a waiting scenario that's unfolding here as well. Adams and company have had those conversations. I'm sure he's in constant communication with Craig Conroy and the Calgary Flames over Noah Hannafin, right? I mean, 
ongoing speculation, we talked about it on Tuesday on Insider Trading, is that guys like Hannafin, Backland, they're not likely going to extend in Calgary. Well, Noah right. Hannafin, as a, as, a, as a trade bait target, is a significant piece and of interest to a lot of teams around the NHL for, for clear reasons. So I'm not definitely linking him uh, as saying top priority for Kevin Adams, but again, all along, we've talked about the want to uh, to bolster that blue line, to add a top four. And unless you're certain you're going to be able to maybe grab a not Matt Dumber or somebody like that in free agency, the idea of making that trade with a Victor Olofsson scenario kind of still sitting out there, is uh, that's that's more in the appetite, I think, of Buffalo at this stage. And quickly, Dan, if you uh, mm-hmm. allow me a, a quick follow-up. Um, <laughs> Kevin Adams, uh, Jerry Fortin, they talked to the media yesterday here in Buffalo. Um, and the 13th pick, like the question is yeah. always, could the Sabres move the 13th overall pick? Um, yeah. What would it take for the Sabres to move that pick? Is it like a Grand Slam home run player that's available? Or could they package it with something maybe if they want to make a bigger splash all of the above i I mean and i know that's not giving you a definitive answer but you can't really have one until you're in nashville and and you're part of that process you you know you can have parameter discussions where you know you you speak to adams and you ask look are you interested in moving up are you interested in moving down um you know if 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 a top defenseman is available to Buffalo, well, guess what that team is asking for, right? They want that pitch okay. as part of the deal. Um, but full disclosure, I have not specifically asked Kevin if he'd entertain. I, I I think he would, but then I'm trying to think of okay, well, what sort of defenseman are we talking about, and and who is that? That seems like a lot for Noah Hannafin, but if you can get him extended. Um, maybe it isn't. 13th pick, guys, is going to be a good player. It is. This mm-hmm. This is a fairly substantial draft. And, uh, you know, I concede to my colleagues, Craig Button and Bob McKenzie, who are doing the final draft ranking show today. But there's apprehension among teams, certainly picking in the top 10, to move down for that very reason. They know that they're going to get a good player. And maybe that dips below 15 and maybe all the way through the first round as well. Yeah, I haven't been that close to obviously uh, as your counterparts in in Craig Button and, and Bob and uh, Marty, even yourselves, and in, in digging into this draft. But I did have time and and actually work at the combine this year, and I, I did it yeah. for a first time experience, to be honest with you. Uh, and it, you're right, the the buzz around, just the talk around everybody there was that nobody was seemed to be really in a rush to be the team, right? That made a decision too early on someone that they felt really could be, uh, and we're talking with a long time NHL career ahead of them. And there's, yeah. you know, you've got obviously your, your number one pick, but beyond that, it seemed to be that you know, the plethora of first round players are guys you can, as much as you can count on anything in the draft, this might be the one where you're saying, look, we can, if we pick yeah. the right player, we could have someone that is either a really good asset to make a move later, or could be in the organization for a decade. And we're going to get something out of that guy. And that sure. seemed to be the talk. I, and I'm with you. And I, I get that same sort of feeling from the managers that I'm talking to. And a lot of these guys, as they should, they defer to their amateur scouting staff, right? Um, and it always depends. You know, are we going to see a shocker in the first three, four picks? I don't think so. I, I, I really don't. I mean, there's lots of talk around what becomes a Matt uh, Mishkov, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russian sensation. Um, could he drop 
all the way down into that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 slot. That feels like a pretty big stretch to me. This guy is a real good hockey player, but the geopolitics around him is real. And the concerns with that pick from Montreal in the five spot all the way down are also very, very real. Um, so if you're the Montreal Canadian sitting at five, and you've made the determination based on your interviewing that you're not taking Mishkov, but there's another player that you think you can you can get maybe at, at seven, eight, you know, now you're talking Philadelphia and Washington, you know, potentially there's a reason to, to trade down from, from that point. So all of that stuff I'm sure is percolating, but until you get on the draft floor, it's really difficult to execute a deal like that. Okay, so these are the prospects and the draft next week in Nashville, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Round one is Wednesday, uh, second round and more is Thursday. Uh, but yeah. there is movement, and especially goalie movement. We saw three goalies get in the Hall of Fame yesterday. Yes, uh, we you did. You know, with Lundqvist, Barrasso, and Vernon. So we got to <laughs> talk goalies because they're stealing the spotlight right now. Connor Hellebuck and the New Jersey Devils? Is that yeah. a, marriage, a marriage that may happen? And will it be an expensive prenuptial Ooh. agreement uh, if it happens? Well, well, if it's as expensive as some of us have been speculating on, like Andre Vasilevsky, 9.5 million AAV expensive, <laughs> I think that that's going to be too much for Tom Fitzgerald and the New Jersey Devils. They love the goalie. They love the idea of Connor Hellebuck stabilizing that position in New Jersey. Um, but you do have to go through a process. I don't I don't believe that they're on the cusp of closing on that deal. And I, I can appreciate Hellebuck's position with this as well. Um, but I, I think that it needs to be explored a little bit further. You know, it's not that Connor Hellebuck is flat out saying, OK, I need to make at least what Andre Vasilevsky is making or we're not having a conversation and I'm not interested in going there. That's not true. What he's interested in is winning and going to a contending team. So what he might ask in terms of a contract extension, and he has a year left at 6.2, what he might ask from one team could be completely different from another team, you know, depending on their cap status, where they're at, and how good a fit he is in terms of thinking that he's got an excellent chance to, to win the Stanley Cup. But there's no question that the New Jersey Devils have interest. They do. So... Is there a suitor that would pay that much money or close to it in your mind? It's a, I don't think so at this point, Dan. Um, unless, you know, he's willing to go to a team that has cap space and, you know, he looks at as, as being a potential contending team in the next two, three years. Right. Um, but, you know, he's also not going to contractually dive from, you know, what could be an expected annual average salary of nine plus dipping down into the sevens, as an example. I mean, there's yeah. there's got to be some appreciation for the resume of, of Connor Hellebuck. And, you know, when you look around the goalie market, besides Hellebuck, you're looking at John Gibson. You know, is there enough left in the tank there to take on that contract? Some say yes, some say, nah, I'm not so sure. And then, you know, you have to look at the unrestricted free agent market for goaltenders, and that gets a little bit more interesting, I think, for teams that are, you know, a suitor for an upgrade in goal. And then you always look at, at what the trade market looks like on a lower tier. So Connor Hellebuck's in a real good place, you know, to, to get the extension that he desires, maybe not the nine and a half, but from a team that, uh, you know, could be perceived as a contender at this point or close to it. 
So I did a little exercise using Cap Friendly this morning, Dreger. Okay. There's only yeah. two goaltenders that are making more than nine and a half million. One is Sergey Bobrovsky. We talked about his yeah. $10 million contract. Andre Vasilevsky, nine and a half, right? Andre Vasilevsky yeah. signed his deal when he was 26 years old. Connor Hellebuck is 30 and will be yeah. 31 when his contract that is currently yeah. have one more year left will expire. Nine mm. and a half million to a 31 yeah. year old is insane. Yeah. insane i'm not it's a big number it's know. a huge number the drop off from from vasilevsky at nine and a half the next goaltender on the list is john gibson at 6.4 million yeah. like could we split the medals say that halibut is a seven and a half million dollar goalie not a nine and a half and go on with our merry way yeah like push it to eight maybe yeah I, and again doesn't it always depend on on and that's i think what dan was getting at like if you identify the geography of this, it makes some sense, right? I mean, uh, I don't, Tampa Lightning aren't looking for a goaltender. The Florida Panthers certainly aren't looking for a goaltender. The Vegas Golden Knights have proven that you can have a carousel of goaltenders and still hoist the Stanley Cup. And and the, the Colorado Avalanche did something similar. So I think that that also kind of puts Kevin Shoveldy up the Winnipeg Jets in a bit of a jam here is that, there is some recency bias here and there's sticker shock and teams are looking at what Vegas did and what Colorado did. And they're like, okay, well maybe we don't need to invest that much in one goalie. But Marty, I mean, how many elite goalies are actually there as starters in the league? And I, I would argue that Hellebuck is in that, is in that category of being an elite goaltender, right? He's, he's, he's top 10 every year. And then you look at the amount of minutes he plays and, but also that's the risk. He's yeah. played so many minutes. He's got so many miles under the hood right now. When he gets to 33, 34, is yeah. it going to break down, right? Are yeah. you going to have to call in the warranty and say, hey, listen, I need a lot of repairs. So that's the worry for me with Connor Hellebuck. Sure. And, and But yeah. listen, we talked about Hellebuck and the Sabres a couple of times. Um, I mean, there's no way, right? There is no way Kevin Adams would even entertain nine and a half million for Connor Hellebuck, especially knowing you have it. Devin Levi like waiting in the wings, right? Yeah, that well, and and what do you think Shovel Layoff and the Winnipeg Jets are going to ask for if they're yeah. engaging in that conversation, right? Um, I I mean, every time I've talked to Kevin about an upgrading goal, he's downplayed it. Now that's not to say that he he wouldn't entertain a possibility. Of course he would, right? I mean, to to get a little bit better. You're always interested in doing that. Doesn't matter what the position is, but you know he keeps emphasizing that defense is is where they need the upgrade. And then he's got some other contracts like Tyson Jost and go down the list that he's engaged with and, and trying to get done. So I don't think Buffalo's making a big splash and growth. Well, and I think too, and then we'll move on from this point because it's it's a great one, but it's it's a hockey discussion, which I like about it is that. You mentioned it, you know, what Vegas was able to do and how they played in front of of Hill, who did play yeah. spectacular. He was spectacular in the moments that he had to be, at least in my opinion. Agreed. Saves yeah. he was making were outstanding. They were Stanley Cup caliber saves. At the same time, the workload, Marty, as you and I were talking about earlier in this show, was maybe not as much as it could have been for a, another goaltender, different situation. That is strictly a compliment to how amazing when mm. Vegas got the puck on their stick, they rarely yeah. gave it back. So um, I agree with you. Some There was some proof yeah. in the pudding that said to your point about Kevin suggesting, look, if we if we lock it down even better in front of our guy with uh, uh, the right defenseman to go with who, we already, who, with who we already think are blue chip defensemen we're going to have around here for a long time, 
our goaltending could look that much better and we don't have to spend an extra seven million to make it happen. Um, yeah. Coyotes, always an interesting situation going on there. Um, this morning reading, and I see that you've talked about it as well in insider trading about how they want to approach kind of putting their team together let's say as of today moving forward compared to maybe discussions that might have gone on a year ago as to how they wanted yeah. to do this has there been a shift in the way that they want to kind of be architects here with this yeah and, and a, for a little reasons. bit a little bit i i mean you know they're still very much in the draft and, and development mode uh they're looking to to acquire some experienced players and they've got the draft collateral to do it. I mean, look at the number of draft picks that the Arizona Coyotes have this year and next year. You can't sign all of those players. I mean, that's currency. So I think Bill Armstrong is is trying to be busy. Uh, quickly, because we have to go to break. The Arizona Coyotes have 12 picks this year. Yeah, they have 11 yeah. players signed right now on Cap Friendly. So, yeah, exactly. They do. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah. Duffer sends his love. He says, Dregs. Have a Love great Duffer. weekend because he always says have a great weekend. And thanks for joining us again. Uh, Dan, you want to take us to break? Uh, you just did, Marty. I, you yeah. made the job easy. Yeah. That was I get flawless. I said it last night to Alan Davis. You know, I was once told it doesn't matter how many words you use, you still get paid the same as long as they're good ones. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. Well, listen, Dregs, have a great weekend. Thanks for yeah, joining guys. us. We'll be back here on Sabres Live. One last little break coming up here after the break. We're back with more. Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. It's like he's leaning on a signpost calling the game. So Castro will go to the game Jeez, to play He's left. got enough pads on. He was like Lindy Ruff. <laughs> it's an NHL reference from 40 years ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm old enough to get it. So. It this ex-NHL player told me what his nickname was. It was uh, Lindy on the road, Ruff at home. <laughs> he was a gentleman in your building. Right, right. At home, the stick would come up. That's back beautiful. in the yard. I back love in that. the yard, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is Bill Burr, comedian Bill Burr, who was on the Nessun broadcast of a Red Sox game and brought up the Lindy on the road and Ruff at home uh, nickname. Lindy Ruff, by the way, uh, Dan will be a Jack Adams uh, nominee Monday night for the NHL award show. So good luck to yep. Lindy. Hopefully. I hope he wins it and I hope he doesn't for other reasons. And I hope he goes on stage and makes fun at Bill Burr as well. That would be awesome. But uh, no, um, Dan, it was great having you on today, filling in for the Duffer. And uh, yeah, like uh, next time we'll talk about more of the Hall of Fame and the McGillney snub, hopefully that he got uh, in next year. That would be we, great. We can find other things to talk about. It's all good. Um, want to remind everybody, go out and check out the 11 day power yes. play. We mentioned it earlier. The fight against cancer continues. Can't do it without you. So we'll see you down at Harbor Center. And um, just uh, keep your head up, folks. Gonna and tomorrow, and yeah. tomorrow on the show, Shana Goldman will be on. Jordan LaBarber is supposed to be on. So we got a busy show tomorrow again. So uh, on behalf of uh, you, Dan, Brian Duff, and our whole technical crew in the studio, thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.